Welcome to It's Not Allowed, a podcast, a collection of discussions with individuals who have taken a slightly different route to achieve their goals. I'm your co-host, Kevin. And I'm your co-host, Alice. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, welcome to our fifth episode of It's Not Allowed, a podcast. Today, we're talking with Aravind. Aravind is a current second-year medical student at the University of Melbourne who did an undergraduate degree in arts, majoring in anthropology and philosophy. He's very involved in effective altruism and its various extensions, where he was the president of One for the World and Effective Altruism at Unimelb and helped co-found the Alternative Protein Initiative at Unimelb too. So welcome, Aravind. We're super excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, Yeah, very happy to be on. Thank you. So before we begin um, into the bulk of the questions, our tradition here is to ask two questions. So the first question is, um, if you could travel anywhere in the world, apart from your hometown, where would you like to go? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this. I reckon um, there are a couple of places, but the number one would probably be um, Chennai, which is in Tamil Nadu. So that's a state in South India where my grandpa's from. And it's just like the most beautiful place. It has like the most beautiful beaches. Um, and I really want to kind of live there for like six months to a year to just um, like write poetry or read um, and just like think and reflect and stuff. Um, and yeah, learn the language as well. It, it has so like, I think I spend a lot of time just like um, learning like Tamil culture and, and like history and stuff like that. Um, but still don't know the language, so. I should get onto that, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds really beautiful. And yeah, that yeah, that's so cool. Um, with our second question, we just wanted to ask you, um, could you please give us a brief overview of your journey from studying university until where you are at right now? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so I started university um 2017, um no, 2018, and um, moved over. Uh, from Sydney um, to Melbourne um, to pursue kind of arts uh, and then uh, hopefully later on med. Um, at the time, I didn't really know um, if I wanted to do med or if I wanted to kind of pursue philosophy. Um, and um, it was a big shift. I think I also just went vegan as well. So it was like living by yourself um, and kind of learning to cook for yourself and all that stuff. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a bit of a tumultuous period. Um, but then I think I started sort of going to the groove of it. And um, as I was doing arts, I think I just found out uh, more and more of the, uh, my intellectual interests um, and also broadened my kind of ethical and spiritual horizons, I think. Um, and I think then halfway through my undergrad degree, I realized, yeah, I think med, um, was something that could fulfill a lot of my ethical and kind of existential, um, yeah, desires. Um, And so after that, I decided um, to go into med. um, And um, along the way, I think what helped me a lot with even my occupational choices was um, sort of my extracurricular, I wouldn't even call them extracurricular, I would just call them um, my, uh, like, was the club activities I did, effective altruism, one for the world, which are sort of like deeply part of who I am, I think. Um, and then, yeah, that all kind of culminated in um, going down the med path. Um, yeah, with a lot in between as well. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, we're really excited to explore many of those um, different things and different turning points. So to begin with, um, let us take you all the way back to high school. So you were saying how you weren't really sure what you wanted to do in terms of courses. So what process did you go through to decide on a particular university course? Um, and did you have any like worries or any interests back then? Yeah, um, I think in high school, uh, I was always quite a um, maybe introspective kid. Um, always uh, really in an embodied sense, really interested in the nature of suffering, the nature of um, alienation. Um, and justice and kindness and things like that. Uh, I always wanted to explore what those things meant um, and like, how do you deal with suffering? How do you kind of alleviate suffering in the world? Um, so I think that naturally 
led me to a more sort of humanities side. I think literature, um, philosophy teaches you so much about that stuff, teaches you um, about like, the depths of the interior world. That, um, and I think um, because of that, um, I had a broad sense of what I wanted to explore. So I wanted to explore those philosophical questions. <clears throat> I also wanted to explore like how to actualize the answers that I got. So how to, how to um, actually alleviate suffering as a, and, but also contemplate what is suffering, what is love. Um, and so I guess that's where I was coming from in high school. And that led me to um, really want to integrate both those sides, like the, my love of like social sciences and humanities and also my love of medicine, uh, not medicine, sorry. <laughs> my love of um, kind of uh, my desire to do good. Um, and so that naturally kind of led me to really want to um, do like a, not go straight into something like medicine, which is kind of all practical, but maybe want to do first something like contemplative, reflective, like arts. Um, and so I think, um, Melbourne offered like a really cool opportunity where I could do an undergrad in arts and then a postgrad in med. And not just that, I could also do like an MD and PH, so medicine and public health um, in one kind of combined degree. Um, and so I thought it was just like a really amazing opportunity. Um, I was contemplating sort of going to overseas um, to do that similar thing, because in America, that's a really big thing, doing like, anthropology, which is also what I did in arts, um, and then going into medicine um, is a sort of like almost uh, a, a lot more uh, popular in America. Um, but yeah, in Australia, I guess the only places that I could do that sort of um, balance both of those aspects of, of my interests um, was in Melbourne. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I just like went with that. and. Um, yeah, kind of saw where that took me. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you decided to come to Australia and that we all met. Um, but so you did a Bachelor of Arts and you majored in philosophy and anthropology. Did you think that your degree sort of answered the questions that you had or provided you with the reflective thinking that you wanted back in high school? And um, yeah, and also in addition to that, uh, what else did it provide you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, um, I generally think that um, no course can really offer those answers um, and that those answers have to come with a sort of um, habitus in the world, which is, that is a sort of um, uh, reflective, uh, examined, um, orientation to the world um, that you cultivate over time. Um, and I think the best course to, to learn that sort of uh, habitus is philosophy. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I think um, it was um, the, the courses themselves, the subjects themselves, um, maybe only like, like a quarter of them to a half had like really beautiful answers I think, to some of those um, deep questions that kind of drove me and that still motivate me. Um, but the others, um, I guess, uh, were yeah, a bit different. I think they, so sometimes philosophy can be abstruse and kind of um, disembodied, abstract, um, and that's just part of the game, I think. Um, but um, I think what's really important was kind of the sort of, um, me also like um, in my own time pursuing um, those questions, reading a lot. I think I would, um, yeah, just spend it like even to like, even when I'm doing that, most of my free time goes into just reading um, and uh, using that as kind of fodder to reflect and examine my life. Um, so for when I was in my undergrad, I think um, studying anthropology and philosophy um, definitely broadened my um, worldview. Um, in a lot of different ways. Um, but um, I think it was still like super important for me to maintain this sort of external reading um, that always kept me in tune with um, those questions that were, were always within me. Um, 
And the second part about kind of the uh, other other effects of um, doing philosophy and anthropology. Um, yeah, I guess it it, it um, gave me increased kind of opportunities to pursue like different and interesting careers in medicine. Like, um, for example, uh, bioethics is a really interesting sphere of medicine um, that you can pursue with sort of um, a public health degree, but also just as a doctor. And there's also medical anthropology, which is what um, in America, there's a lot of physician anthropologists, people who are both physicians, but also anthropologists. Um, both of those career paths, I think, um, are um, super interesting to me because they combine philosophy, anthropology, and then also medicine. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, doing an arts degree um, steered me in that, it can, it steers me more in that direction um, and has, um, yeah, broadened my understanding of what medicine can be. Um, and I think, yeah, um, there's just like so much, um, so, so many like a lot of role models are kind of um, who are physicians, but also uh, really uh, steeped in the world of humanities. I think they, um, yeah, they've done the most amazing things. So um, I'm, I guess like, yeah, that's also another little benefit, I guess, than doing art as well. Yeah, that's really, really interesting on how your degree choices kind of informed also your like future like career, like inspirations and everything, which we'll get to, we'll get to how you decided to, you wanted to do medicine um, because you said you weren't really sure during your undergraduate degree, but just staying on the topic of your undergraduate degree at the moment, um, I'm really curious because I haven't met anyone who's done anthropology plus philosophy. How do those two fields for you, how do those fields like, do they complement each other for you and your way of thinking? Um, or do they not? And yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about those two majors and your experiences within those two majors? Yeah, sure. Um, the connection between philosophy and anthropology is, is a huge question. Uh, it's a it's a great one. Um, but yeah, I think um, so. Anthropology, basically, the study of culture, study of um, sort of meaning in culture, the, the way that, um, but also how politics, ideology, um, and um, power basically um, inform and uh, yeah, alter you know, cultural norms and, and, and cultural meaning. Um, so um, I think whenever you're dealing with meaning, it's, it's always a philosophical question. Um, and whenever you're dealing with politics, it's always a philosophical question. Um, so they, they do have like nice little overlaps. And um, there's also um, a sort of, in anthropology, there's quite a, um, like an ethical um, impulse in anthropology um, because I guess um, culture is always the, the locus of like conquest and domination and, and things like that and marginalization um, and uh, anthropologists you know, back in the day they were more kind of focused on kind of helping uh, in in contributing to domination and marginalization. But now it's become a lot more sort of um, a kind of progression, I guess. Um, there's a lot more in anthropology that's like an advocacy for different cultural groups and um, values that are, and, and trying to kind of, um, yeah, um, resist, um, yeah, movements towards marginalization, domination. Um, and so that's like inherently ethical. So. And my focus in philosophy was always kind of ethics. I was always interested in like how to live a good life. What you know, um, what is like right action? What is love? Um, what does it mean to care for people? Um, and so there was like nice little overlap there. Um, of course, there were always differences. Like anthropology um, had a sort of different value alignment. You know, I think um, and um, more engaged in the world. And then philosophy was more a little bit more um, yeah detached. And I, I think more. Um, uh, abstract um yeah um and then um so yeah the question else was like how each informs each other and then um individually which um yeah yeah mm. was there anything else on that question i think i missed something mm. no no i think you covered it really well yeah so i think i was asking how they informed each other and if not 
um, what were they like individually as degrees, but uh, sorry, as majors, but I think you answered that really beautifully. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a bit about um, your choice in going into med. So you said that um, you said that within your undergraduate degree, you discovered, um, for example, medical bioethics and medical anthropology. So was it those two things that kind of made you decide that you wanted to do med or was it something else that kind of, you know, ended up tipping you into this career path? Yeah, um, I think it was a combination of um, diving in and learning a lot about sort of medical anthropology. Um, a couple of like role models that I have, I think I um, alluded to before, um, Paul Farmer, Arthur Kleinman, these are, um, medical anthropology is like kind of a discipline that started in Harvard. And there's like a course that starts with like, you first learn anthropology and then you do medicine. Um, and Paul Farmer, Arthur Kleinman are these like amazing physician anthropologists um, who, um, while they engage in sort of practical um, sort of medical uh, work, they are also like doing anthropological ethnography or anthropological um, sort of analysis and cultural analysis um, and analyzing social structures, power structures and politics um, through the lens of their, um, you know, medical sort of engagement where they're like Paul Farmer for example worked in Haiti um, and set up a bunch of uh, sort of medical centers and um, through his kind of um, uh, like what's the word like through his um, uh, work on the field he was able to have like a new angle on the social structures and, and the kind of cultural um, situation in Haiti um, and he produced like the most really beautiful works um, Arthur Kleinman, he's a psychiatrist, but he's also an anthropologist. And I guess through that, <clears throat> he sort of, um, he, I guess, um, has some like really interesting work in um, the nature of care in, in, in medicine um, and the way that the healthcare, healthcare system doesn't really live up to the ideal of what care is. Um, and so that's also a philosophical work as well. Um, and so it's like so I was amazed by the way that these people integrated medicine and philosophy and anthropology all into like um, these works of like beautiful wisdom. Um, so I think they um, really um, kind of uh, inspired me. But in both of their works, they have like a really deep ethical impulse. They, they believe that the way to um, do a lot of good um, was through molding those two facets of their life. Um, and so another thing that made me want to do med was um, kind of just realizing that by doing medicine in a different way, not the way that most people do it, um, I can do a lot of good and I can alleviate a lot of suffering. Um, and so I think I realized that um, maybe second year um, when I think not only was I engaging with those questions in my course um, and at home, in my spare time, but I was also engaging with it in a community of people who had similar values to me. So that was the effective altruism community. Um, and so through that community as well, I learned um, a lot of like really interesting ways, um, reasons why doing med um, would be kind of good for the world and, and stuff like that. And so I think that also drove me on. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear, especially like the people that inspire you. Um, I personally haven't heard of those two people, but I really do want to go and search up their works right now. Um, so in terms of medicine, I'm, yeah, I'm really curious, like how, yeah, how are you finding it in general? What is the degree like for you? And if you, um, yeah, and the fact that you, you do like to take an anthropology approach or lens to medicine, do you think that, is that something that is easy to do within the, uh, the degree? Um, yeah, so in terms of how I'm finding medicine, um, quite good. I think I was worried about the jump from arts to med, um, just because it's so different. And I only did uh, maybe three subjects in uni um, to prepare me, or oh, no, maybe six subjects in uni to prepare me. Um, and also I was just like, didn't do too, like my high school was not much science. Um, just like I, I was, although I did like 13 subjects, which is like, or like 13 units, um, none of them were science. Um, but it just meant that, um, yeah, I was a bit worried to go from arts to med, um, but it turned out like 
uh, fine. I think first you met was, um, it started off a bit, a bit confused and a bit like, yeah, difficult to get into the flow. Um, but then I think I just like applied because, you know, I feel like um, when you're taught to like study from like age five, you, you learn some general ways to like um, adapt to different situations. So um, I think um, over the year, I just like kind of progressively got better and better in terms of just like how I um, studied and, and did work. And, and uh, what I guess was most worried about was that um, sort of not being able to um, do those kind of extracurricular kind of um, thinking and, and like reflecting and reading and writing. Um, but it was really, I tried to like put like a policy in place where um, I basically read a book a week um, during first year and I managed to do that and, and, and some more, um, which was like really cool. Um, and I guess like it was a testament to like, um, yeah, like my hope to basically integrate all those different parts of my life into one. Because um, I guess I initially was thinking of doing pursuing philosophy more, um, and um, and, I, and I guess I was worried when I was going into medicine that like I wouldn't be able to um, do philosophy, do work in, in that area. But I think it was really like heartening to see that like yeah, I was able to balance those things. And I think it's definitely um, I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't supported by my parents um, and I didn't have if I didn't have to do a job. Um, if I did have to work um, and I think um, yeah that's like a just like a, a point of like real privilege and, and fortune that I'm able to do that um, but yeah I think it was uh, really cool to be able to balance those things um, and then um, that was the first part of the question and then um, yeah yeah whether I could take an anthropological lens to um, yeah, I think um, it's hard um, in the first two years. I think you're doing theoretical work and you're just like, and then in the second year, you're getting used to the hospital and stuff like that. Um, I definitely think I'm almost like leaving the apology side to it um, to when I'm doing public health in my fourth year, basically. Because um, then there are subjects on medical anthropology um, and I can... Um, yeah, learn, learn a lot more, I think, uh, in public health. But I was, I've definitely been always integrating the philosophy side to it. I think I come home and I think about, um, yeah, like the nature of um, care in the, in the health system, the nature of like, did I um, acknowledge this person in this way? Um, and uh, when you're always like in the you know, kind of face-to-face -face with their suffering, I think in the hospital, um, I think um, it, is a, like a yeah, big impetus to reflect and contemplate um, and to kind of gain perspective in your life. So like, I, I, can't, I think I've been uh, not studying enough just because I literally come home and like I have this big journal that I've had since I was 16 and I just like write and write. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, that's another way that I, that philosophy kind of plays into my life, I guess. And, and that lens is, is there all the time in the background. Um, when I come home from uni. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, being like reflective and thinking about your, you know, the people that you see in medicine and elsewhere. And I think it's amazing that you can read one book a week. I definitely can't even read like one sentence a week. So yeah, <laughs> good job on that. Um, I'm going to ask one last question before I pass the mic to Kevin. So you said that back in, uh, sorry, back in high school, you said that the question of, you know, like suffering um, and how do we alleviate, alleviate suffering is something that um, was on your mind kind of throughout high school and undergraduate degree. I, I'm just curious, like in terms of your career choice, I, I think that th there are definitely like a lot of careers out there that um, alleviate different types of suffering. So whether that's like health or finance or things like that, um, what made you choose like, medicine as you know relieving someone's suffering through health or at least being the primary goal of medicine as we see it for me the way that i go about alleviating suffering is um through both the philosophical practice but also the medical practice and the medical practice is not the direct labor of me kind of maybe helping patients because i think um 
studies and like analysis has shown that as a doctor, your marginal impact is not huge. Um, and that's for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, the idea of replaceability um, and uh, the nature of like the demand for, uh, for, you know, for, for medicine um, just means that you are easily replaceable. Um, so what that generally means is that the direct labor of medicine is probably not the most effective way to, you know, to alleviate suffering. Um, so I think um, in my mind, the way I, I go about it is um, both like so earning to give. So doctors in Australia earn a really big income. So if you give a lot of that income away, um, you're to really, really effective areas, effective charities that are kind of evaluated for the impact, um, then you can alleviate like a lot of suffering relative to a doctor who just wouldn't give that money away. Um, so if I give like 50% of my income away, although I guess I, for me, that suffering is, um, yeah, you know, I guess you try to make the decision between like um, health suffering and, and then the desires and needs of like kind of the financial world. Um, for, for us, I guess it's like um, you can kind of quantify suffering in certain ways. We can use quality adjusted life years, which is like a public health metric. Um, and um, so going off those things, um, I'm not like um, the direct labor that I do in medicine will probably have like, but, you know, alleviate a couple of, um, you know, qualities or something like that. But um, yeah, giving them my money away to like places where there's like super low hanging fruit about like um, where it's giving people basic like um, income can do he heaps and heaps of good. Um, so I, really, I, I wouldn't even like kind of use that distinction, I guess, between like um, types of suffering um, because um yeah it, I, and, and then another interesting one is that like i definitely think that um i definitely think that um the the philosophy that i'm doing um on the side um will one day contribute to like leaving suffering um and um yeah just in like sort of um in um yeah like in the effect of altruism movement, for example, I think there's um, a lot of like work about what is valuable and like, um, and those questions are um, really important to guiding us in, into like how to alleviate the most suffering, etc. And philosophy has a really big role there. So that's another kind of area um, and why I'm also kind of doing philosophy side by side. Um, yeah, I think I missed some parts of that question, but that's okay. Uh, no, that was a really great response. And yeah, it really makes me think about um, yeah, like the efficiency of helping people, mm. how efficiencies can be different. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think Kevin will explore more about that. So um, I'll now pass on to Kevin for the second part of our podcast. Ivan, thank you so much for answering the questions before. And it was really interesting to explore sort of your intersection between anthropology, politics, philosophy, and, and medicine health. So the questions regarding student clubs and the sort of extracurricular activities you were involved in. So it seems like you've been involved in many interesting ones, a lot of them aligned with your values. Yeah, a little bit more for us, what some of the most profound impacts these clubs have had on? Yeah, sure. Um, so the clubs being <clears throat> Effective Altruism, One of the World, and then um, the Alternative Protein Initiative, um, all of those basically come under the umbrella of Effective Altruism. Effective Altruism being a movement that um, kind of a philosophical um, and social movement all about um, using reason, science, empirical methods to alleviate the most suffering we can. Suffering across non-human animals, um, human animals, and across time, so future people as well. Um, and so all those clubs, are, we call them value-aligned, so they have like very similar sort of values. Um, and so in terms of the impacts that we've made, um, EA effective altruism, EA is kind of um, when me and um, two of my mates um, came into the club, it was like dying out. There was like very few people. We had basically three people. Um, and now it's, it's like really um, big now, as in, and it somehow managed to like perpetuate its um, sort of uh, kind of organizing committee um, throughout COVID. And I think last year we had like 26 people in the committee, which is less like, really good um, from where we started like two years ago. Um, 
And <clears throat> all of those people are value aligned and are like, are like using their um, careers and time and money to um, alleviate as much suffering as they can, which is like really beautiful. Um, and so um, one kind of way that we make impact is, is that meta organizing kind of um, uh, capacity where we just like promote the values of EA to people and promote the sort of organization. Um, and so in that regard, I think, um, yeah, we've had a lot of impact in just like building an organization and um, kind of disseminating values in this really, um, really interesting way. Um, it, and then for One for the World, that's a sort of offshoot of EA where we kind of focus exclusively on ex extreme poverty um, as opposed to like animal welfare or existential risk, which are other areas of, um, where we can alleviate suffering. Um, and then One for the World is more practical in terms of building a community around uh, people taking a 1% pledge of their future income to effective charities. Um, and in that community, we've also like this year, um, we're having, we have a, like a really passionate community, um, that committee, I mean, and um, also uh, survive the COVID like um, period where like a lot of clubs are kind of going under and just not surviving because yeah, it's, it's just really hard to, um, yeah. And so, that was like, that's also like this year, it relies on being on campus. So they're kind of really growing now. Um, and that's also really cool to see. Um, and they're increasing their donations, increasing pledges. Um, and so, yeah, another really cool place where it, a lot of impact is being had. Um, and then the alternative protein initiative, um, that's all about basically creating the foundations for a just and equitable food system um, that, yeah, isn't based on, uh, the current modes of agriculture that um, harm the environment, people, uh, lots of different things like that. Um, and so um, that initiative um, has now a pretty big committee, I think, um, six from, from what I remember, um, six execs and then offices underneath them. Um, and so that's like, they're, they're like doing a lot of really, really cool stuff now this year, especially. Um, and so all of them survived COVID and are growing. And it's, it's like really cool to see. Um, yeah. Really, really interesting to hear. And congratulations for all three organizations surviving COVID. Mm, thank you. It does seem like you've held multiple leadership positions, but that's working itself out. Sorry, Kev, I think the audio is coming out. Okay. We still can't hear you. Well, at least I can't hear you. Yes. Yeah, perfect. Okay, I'm going to start that question again. Yeah. Um, so I did that comment. I'll start the question again and we'll leave the comment in. Jaren, you seem to have held multiple leadership positions, you know, across your different organizations you're affiliated with and that you worked with. I guess for our listeners who might also be interested in sort of what your journey was like in reading those, reaching those leadership positions, if you could give us an outline, but more importantly, how you saw your responsibilities as you moved up in an organization changed with your passion for that particular subject matter? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, so how I got to those leadership positions. Um, in general, I don't think I seek leadership positions. Like I, I um, I actively like, like, I think my strengths have always been just like in the solitary sort of, um, uh, yeah, solitary sort of contemplation and writing and things like that. Um, and in sort of one-to-one -one conversations, I think. And um, so I think I started in the committee um, almost like in One for the World, I was like, a, um, not even part of the committee, I was just like, just became like a kind of a pseudo um, uh, vice press just because I love the, the the whole club. Um, in effective altruism, um, I jumped on uh, into the community just because uh, at the start there was like no one there. Um, and so I think um, my role started off just being um, this person who kind of gave ideas and also was good at kind of integrating people into the community. Um, and I think I still do that to this day. Like I think when, um, even over, over COVID, I was just like, I would just like talk to new members one-to-one -one, um, and just like um, kind of understand them um, and 
just have a really nice conversation with them. Um, and that led to like not only me like have like making like some of my best friends, but also um, I think it's also like a part of the reason why um, our community has like lasted like such a long time um, because we, yeah, I think from that the start, um, those sort of uh, kind of exploring those ideas with people um, and also just like um, kind of, what's the word, I guess, um, integrating people was, was um, super important in, in just like, yeah, the longevity of the community. Um, but um, yeah, so it started from me doing that. Um, and then um, I think uh, the former prez um, just wanted me to like, um, just thought I would be good to be president for the next year. Um, and then um, I think I just, just took it up because I, I think I just wanted to see the community grow more and more. Um, yeah, and I think um, um, in terms of how my um, passion, uh, yeah, changed with kind of becoming, um, yeah, prayers, um, I think I was yeah, definitely more focused on like the practical sides of running the organizations. Um, um, but the driving force, I guess, of why I'm doing what I'm doing is always there. Um, because I, I always knew that there was a huge impact to be had through organizing for these communities. Um, and it kind of showed over time. And that's how I also viewed those, all of those interactions like as well. Um, it was, um, yeah, building something that is like a lot bigger than myself. And, and um, I think later after being pres, I think I um, started that, co-founded with some of my other friends from EA, um, the Alternate Protein Initiative. And that was, um, um, yeah, I think an example of how like that passion, like I never waned throughout that process. Um, Cause yeah, I, I just like um, knew that the um, impact was always gonna be pretty big. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. It's really good to show you're keeping your original motivation pushing through rather than getting boggled down by all of those administrative tasks. Um, Aaron, it seems you have quite a lot of interest and quite a lot of things you spend your time with, whether it's study, both on the medicine and the humanities side, whether it's you're reading your books, whether it's you're writing a journal, whether it's you being involved in student clubs. Um, did you have any other side hustles, I guess, addition to your study or work or any other sort of interesting extracurricular activities, sports, music that you would like to chat about? Um, yeah, I mean, I like since I was young, I, I love sport. Um, a lot of basketball, a lot of uh, now I'm picking up footies, so that's really fun. Um, a lot of like soccer and stuff like that. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just like for me, at least, it's super important to be basically like in, in tune with your body and just like um, not disassociate from it basically through like studying and through like all the, the mental um, life. Um, and yeah, so. I, like I spend like most days like gymming or, you know, um, yeah, basketball and things like that. And that like really keeps me, I think, focused and grounded. And, and um, yeah, I, I did this thing last year that I think helped me a lot in terms of just like studying for bed. Um, it was just like, cause I don't like sitting down and studying. Uh, I would just go to the gym and just like use Anki. Um, and like, because of that, I feel like I just like didn't have to study as much. And it was just like a really good time saver while also doing a lot of exercise. So that was cool. Um, and then apart from sport, um, yeah, also I like, play a lot of music. So like um, write some songs with my, my mates, play in like some bands. Um, and yeah, no, that, that's like one of my favorite things to do as well. I think you can see my guitar um, as well. Um, yeah, just like a super important part of my life. Um, that is just, like a really nice form of creative expression that balances out, yeah. A lot of the other things that I do um, and in the St Vincent's common room we have a piano and a guitar so I can just like between going into um, uni we can just like jam on that um, play some nice songs yeah that's really good to hear that you're living a holistic life um, not just in your professional but also in your personal recreational um, interests as well 
Um, I'm just going to take a topic shift and we'll move on to a few more abstract questions to hopefully get the brain juices flowing. And I know yes. you would give some really interesting answers. Mm. I guess the first question is about identity. And, and you know, so we touched on elements of this before, but you know, for many identities, kind of really different components. You've got work, you've got family, you've got the people you touch around you, you've got your life values, professional values, and your hobbies. I guess, Aaron, if you could tell us how much do you think the work that you do, whether that's mm-hmm. going to be currently as a medical student or in the future, hopefully as a medical anthropologist, contributes to your identity in life? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I think almost like the relationship is um, uh, almost like the other way around for me. It's, it's like... Um, for me, it's um, how medicine and my job and, my, and things like that um, is a manifestation of my sense of what matters in the world. So, which is for me at least my identity. Like your, um, your, um, I think it's, it's it's a hard thing to cultivate. Like your values and your, your sense of what matters. Um, but um, that I think is one of the most constitutive parts of of your identity. Um, and for me, at least, I think um, that has always, is those questions, you know, in high school about like, what is suffering, what, what does that mean? Those are all deeply personal questions about like, um, what is the value to me? And, and um, how do I enact those values? Um, and those are almost at the heart of who I am. Um, and everything I've done since then, or like, you know, is a kind of a outgrowth um, of that identity. Uh, so all those effect, those parts of effective altruism, um, and uh, my kind of philosophical and kind of medical pursuits, um, those are all um, like come from a place of who I want to become, um, and uh, and and that's based on uh, what I um, kind of uh, yeah, based on my sense of what matters in the world. Um, and that sense of what matters is always a dynamic and evolving thing. Um, it, it changes, uh, not in a radical sense, but it is updated, basically. Um, the more I learn, the more I'm engaged in the world. And so that identity is a constantly developing and, and um, uh, changing thing. Um, so I'm, I, um, and, and it's interesting, I think there is like a um, sort of uh, feedback between them. So all those things like effective altruism and one for the world, which are accurate to that sense of what matters. Um, through living those things, you also have a kind of feedback loop that alters your sense of what matters um, and alters your identity. Um, and then that will change your path again and again. And so it's like this nice little loop. Um, yeah. No, I think you're very right. I think identity and definitely evolves over time because sort of your components will evolve over time as you yeah. move through in your work, as you create new relationships, as you form family and pick up and drop off hobbies and that will change your values and, and change your sort of identity. That's really true. And thank you for that. Erwin, you know, you, you've had a really profound journey in moving through different disciplines in discovering yourself and discovering many different things you're interested in. What do you think is the most valuable priority you have to sacrifice in your life as mm. this pursuit of your journey? Yeah, um, think about this a lot because I think um, yeah, there's um, trying to live like an ethical life means that you're trying, you, you have to um, attend to the demands of like millions of things, of beings, of, of animals and stuff like that and change your life accordingly in, in being responsive to those sufferings and those demands and those needs. And that just naturally means that you have to forego um, sort of, other existential, existentially important parts of your life. Um, and so I think, yeah, what, what would I do if I um, didn't have, if I, I if, if those demands weren't there, if the world was more perfect, you know? Um, and um, I think for me, I, I, I definitely just um, do the, the sport, the, the music and all those different things. But also um, I think I'd like write, try to write poetry, honestly. <laughs> I think I just like, um, yeah, dedicate a lot of my life to, to beauty and, and things like that um, and just like trying to deepen our understanding of the human condition um, yeah because for me that, that is like a very beautiful thing um, yeah well, that makes a lot of sense um, and thank you for coming I guess sharing that with us uh, we're going to move on to a few more hypothetical and a bit more 
um, I guess, hopefully interesting questions as well. And yeah. obviously the other ones were as well, but this one hopefully get you thinking a bit more. Mm. So, I mean, you know, if, if there's a lot of social structures in society that keep us, that keep us grounded, you know, there's yeah. money, there's status, and there's reputation. Mm. If these were all out of consideration, obviously it's not real, but if they were out of consideration, what would be your blue sky project, your blue sky career that you pursue mm. in life? Um, yeah. Probably the same. I probably just um, <laughs> try to try to read and write as much as possible, um, and yeah, I, I hopefully just be a writer, basically, um, in whatever capacity that entails. Um, yeah, that's good to hear. I think I feel like every time we ask this question, we hope that you know the person we're talking to says the same thing because you know at the end of the day, it's really important to do what you love. Mm. either what makes you happy mm. rather than sort of bound by these social constructs mm. so i mean there, as you mentioned before there are many jobs around the world and everyone's got different interests but mm. a lot of the jobs are centered around providing something that will solve a problem for somebody mm. so if you could help people with any problem they're facing anything such as health or their relationships or their finances mm. what sort of problem would you like to help people out with yeah um i think the problems that i'm most considering, like most interested in working on now, are um, um, sort of high impact um, public health problems. So, for example, mental health in the developing world. Um, those are sort of low hanging fruit. I'm really interested in low hanging fruit, basically. The things where you could, um, not many people work on them, they have a lot of um, ability to be scaled up um, and have a lot of impact. Um, and they're generally like, um, solvable they have um you know there's not like it's not like um, there's like really really difficult ways to solve these problems um mental health in the developing world is one of them just there's not enough there's not much funding there's not much like a thought or um, going into that kind of sphere um and ea is doing like a lot of work in that area um so that's like super interesting to me um also um i'm really interested in psychiatry in general um because i think there's a lot of of low-hanging fruit there as well and there's um it, it kind of integrates a lot of my interest in philosophy um and kind of existential questions into a, yeah like a like a career um and so um i'm really interested in like the psychedelic research that's coming out um and the uh yeah a lot of the low-hanging fruit in psychiatry because there's i, I think it's just like <clears throat> there's a lot to be done in that field um both in uh developed and, and developing worlds um so I think, yeah, that's like a really, really cool area I'd like to work in. Definitely. And I think society as a whole really shifted their focus to mental health after the mm -hmm. pandemic and all that has happened when people have really um, lost that social connection, especially in developing countries where the frameworks and the public health um, infrastructure wasn't set up. Mm -hmm. uh, Arvin, thank you so much for answering the questions. I'll pass to Alice just to wrap us up with a few more. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Okay, so I have one last question, except mm -hmm. I do think that your answer to Kevin's last question kind of breaks this question, but mm -hmm. I will ask it anyway, so I'm going to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, so because this question is within our hypothetical, I guess it only exists in the realm of hypothetical because it's probably not a real life binary. But mm -hmm. anyhow, so um, I will ask this question using an, an analogy. So um, basically it's whether you want to be a laser or a light bulb. So a laser Mm -hmm. um, is a concentrated light source with high energy and impact, um, but over um, a smaller, I guess, area. Mm -hmm. And a light bulb is more diffuse, um, yet it has broader impact. So with this question, with this analogy, what we wanted to ask you is, do you prefer to focus your energy and time on one task that can, in, that can impact a few, a few, like a small number of people, or would you focus your time and energy on something that can impact a lot of people, but not as deeply. Yeah, um, probably just because I'm an effective altruist, I'd go with like the broader impact um, and the more, yeah, diffuse sort of, um, uh, yeah, the technology. Um, just because <clears throat> it, it definitely does matter, like there's only so much you can um, sort of, help or alleviate the suffering of one person we get diminishing returns like watching utility is like that economic concept where like the more um you try to help someone or the more like um the the, the less sort of it's not like a linear thing basically um and so 
what that generally means is like the more people like you you help in terms of just like um giving like income to um the larger overall impact you'll have as opposed to if you give all that income to one person because they'll have diminishing returns to that um um yeah so i i i think that's a really like core kind of idea in ea where we just like try to broaden our impact as much as possible because of that sort of concept um yeah yeah i i love your answer because i think without question with the light bulb and the laser i think it assumes that like utility is the same but mm. your answer is saying that utility might not be the same and that the utility for um helping a single person might decrease over time whereas you yeah. can broaden that utility for helping a lot of people so i love your answer i've never thought about it that way mm. okay so um so finally as we're wrapping up um i guess the last thing we'll ask you is what are some important like lessons and morals you've learned over the years that you would like to share with our listeners yeah it's a it's a huge question um i guess um i i it's running through the, the whole kind of uh, all my answers but i think um learning to live a uh, reflective and examined life is uh, just like super important um and cultivating that sense of what matters. I think it's a, that's a very hard thing to cultivate and I'm cult trying to do it every single day um, and having a robust sense of what matters to you is super important. Um, I think it, um, another thing that I think I hold very close to me is the sense that, um, and, it, and it, 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 it kind of comes from that reflective examined life, but the idea that like reality is an achievement, basically, to reach out to touch the world, basically, unadulted, manufactured by your the filters of your fears or ego. Um, and like to be alive in the world, I think um, that is like a very hard thing to do. Almost. Um, and I guess that like um, that's like an, kind of an ethical move, um, and it's only really possible through love. Um, yeah, and so I think that strange idea is, um, yeah, like has always been very important to me that like we're always like, um, and I haven't really talked about love more, but I guess that is like the underpinning of a lot of the reasons I do the things I do. Um, and a lot of like the, um, a lot of my aspirations are based on um, trying to realize love in, in its ethical capacity and, and interpersonally as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's where I, on that weird, strange point, I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, that's so beautiful. I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I think it really does give like lots of food for thought for our audiences and Kevin and I as well. Yeah, so thank you so much for that. And um, yeah, Aravin, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with us here on It's Not A Lot Of Podcast. And for the listeners out there, if you would like to learn more about Aravind or have any questions, then please email us at itsnotaladder at gmail.com. Thank you and stay tuned for the next episode.